Good morning. A Bible will help you, or the journal. We're going to look at James chapter 1 this morning. Our lyrics of singing made Christ the center, and he is the center of our worship together this morning. My prayer for you is that you would hear from Jesus. I believe he wants to speak to you, and I know that you probably brought burdens to church with you because our weeks have burdens in them. I pray that Jesus will lift them. If you're under the weight of sin and far from God, I pray you'll hear from Jesus, that he loves you, that he will forgive you, and that he will give you eternal life. If you're on top of the world and you're feeling like everything's going great, I pray you'll give all praise and honor to Jesus, who is the source of every good gift and every blessing. We're here for Jesus. He's with us, and he wants to speak to us. We have a very wonderful privilege to open this book and have a confidence that this is the word that God gave us, that we would know it, and knowing it, our lives would be different. We would be changed. The world around us doesn't have the privileges that we have here, but we must be sure that it doesn't make us soft or complacent or ungrateful. We are among the most privileged people in all the world brought into sharp focus with all that's happening around us because we can be here in peaceful, quiet, we can celebrate the Word of God, we can sing to Jesus, we can have friendship and fellowship together while the world is in trouble. So my prayer is that you will listen carefully to the Word of God then and say, you are a, a very, we are a very privileged people to be able to listen to the word of God together and say, Lord, speak to us. Let us hear from you today. We want to hear from God, right? As I was thinking about this morning, one of the statements that I wrote down in my notes is God is not a commodity for our consumptive desires. Let me say it again. God is not a commodity for our consumptive desires. Therefore, obedience is the most basic obligation of the Christian life. The prophets of the Old Testament record the Lord speaking, to whom will you liken me? To an idol crafted by someone else? Who is like the Lord? What's the answer? No one. To Job, God spoke after his awesome losses and said, where were you? Where were you? When the world was formed when the stars went out to their place, 
when I said to the oceans, you may come here and no further. I am the Lord. I am God. God is not to be consumed as a product. He's to be worshipped as the almighty God. And therefore, responding to him in humble obedience is the first duty of everyone who says, I know God. We all want to know God, and yet it cannot be that we respond to him in our words and not our actions. But our words and our actions, an obedience to him steadily over time in a long direction. This is where James is taking us this morning to speak about obedience. But as we've said, as the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the Lord of all creation, James has, I believe, the words of Jesus in his mind when he says to us what we're going to read this morning. It was Jesus who said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It was Jesus who said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Think about that. Hearing and doing the words of Jesus make our souls, our very bodies, a temple where God comes to dwell and live with us. I will make my abode in your life if you listen to my words and keep them, but whoever does not love me does not keep my word. Later, the Apostle John wrote these words, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. You can know whether you're a Christian today. And it's not by an experience you had when you were five. It's by the obedience of your life. I'll read it again. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Is this good news? This is what the Bible says to us. It's what the Bible says to us. And James, in his book, is helping us to know that when we come to Jesus, we come to him because he's been calling us. And he opens our hearts and he forgives us. One of the verses that we read is James 1.18. We're just going to go review and get back to where we're going today. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the, the word of truth, the truth 
that God has spoken. And he did that. He brought us forth from death to life, from sin to forgiveness. He brought us forth through the word of truth that we should be, as a result of that, a kind of first fruits of his creatures, the first ones to walk in his way, the way that he walked. But I want you to see that James is making a point that God did this by the truth of the word of God. And then, if you see verse 21, which we saw last week, from 18 to 21, he is saying, therefore put away all filthiness and all rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the, everybody? The implanted word, which is able to save your soul. The word of truth, the word of God that is implanted in the soul of everyone whom God saves by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an implanted word that the Spirit gives to us that we understand this is who I am before God. This is who he is. This is what Jesus did for me. And the word of truth implanted in my soul says, Jesus is my Savior. He paid it all. I'm forgiven. It saves my soul, the implanted word. So there is being brought forth by the word of truth and then the word of God implanted in our soul, the word of the gospel is implanted in our soul. The natural man cannot accept the things of the spirit, but the implanted word is the word of God that comes into our heart. Now I'm, I'm rolling in because today's passage is all about our response to the word of God. But you have to see this, that we become Christian when God works in our heart and he brings us forth by the truth about him. And then he implants the word in our life and it saves our soul. Now we saw last week in verse 20, and tw uh, 19 and 20, that there is a, a little clue. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. It's great to hear that last week, wasn't it? We, we want to be slow to speak, but fast to hear. And then it says this, for the anger, you don't want to be angry, because the anger of man does not accomplish, it's highlighted in my journal, what? It seems to me that what's in James' mind in this section is the righteousness of God. And there's something that does accomplish it and something that thwarts it. The righteousness of God, his righteousness in us, is through the word of truth through which he brought us forth from death to life. It is the implanted word that's in our soul. The righteousness of God is not accomplished by the anger of man, but it begs the question, I think, that what does accomplish the righteousness of God? It's his work in our hearts. And it's assumed in James's mind that the righteousness of God in the lives of his people is the aim of why he's saying what he's saying here. So there's something to be repented of, all filthiness, all um, uncleanness, all rampant wickedness, all sin, repent of that,
and receive in humility the implanted word. Now, the Bible speaks of the righteousness of God in a couple of ways. And I thought, if I could, and you'd let me, I want you to have three ways the Bible talks about the righteousness of God. It's not going to be on the screen, but you need to have it. The Bible talks about the righteousness of God, which I think is where James is moving through his book. Let us live out our life, the righteousness of God, in three ways. One is a righteousness that God gives when we become believers in Christ. I would use the word that the Bible uses that when we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, 1. So the first way is that we are justified by faith. And in that sense, the Bible talks about our receiving a righteousness that was of none of our own doing, but God gave it to us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward to pay for sins. We're justified, and when we are justified, we receive undeservedly the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. He gives us this righteousness. Titus chapter 3 Verse 4 says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the works that we had done in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Christ Jesus, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the righteousness leading to sanctification. Okay, the first way the Bible talks about righteousness is that God gives it to us, the righteousness of Christ, if you will, imputed into our hearts and attributed to our account before God so that I could say today, even though I am a sinner and I still sin, God sees me as righteous because of Christ. Everybody said, Amen. That's one of the ways the Bible talks about righteousness, a settled disposition, a possession, not of my own doing, but an imputed gift of God, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ. Having been justified by faith, I am at peace with God. Do you have that? Okay, that's when you become a believer in Christ and you trust in him with all your heart. The second way the Bible talks about the righteousness of God is the progressive righteousness that grows in us. The word in the Bible is sanctification. Sanctification in which we grow increasingly to be more like Jesus in our life. Sanctification means to be set apart or to be made holy. It is both thought of as finally accomplished and progressively experienced in the life of the Christian. Romans 6, 19 says, For just as once you presented your members of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to, as slaves to righteousness, which will lead you to sanctification. We grow in sanctification. We grow in, if you will, righteousness in the way we live our life. Um, this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We, we grow 
in the likeness of Jesus. That's our progressive experience of righteousness. We never fully attain it, but we pursue it with all of our might, right? That's the progressive work of being sanctified, set apart, and experiencing more and more in day-to-day life God's righteousness in our life. And the final way the Bible talks about righteousness is the Bible word glorification. So you have justification, sanctification, and glorification. And glorification might be the third way to think about actually experiencing the final, complete, never-to-be-lost righteousness of God when we are ushered into heaven and we are glorified. So Paul wrote to the Philippians, uh, our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform this lowly body. Everybody said? Yeah, older people mostly. We all say amen. He's going to transform this lowly body into his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. That's what's going to happen. Why? Oh, what great love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. That's what we are. And it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3. We're going to be like him. We're going to be with him. We're going to be there. Peter said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance future that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being kept by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's glory. We're getting there. We're going to go there if Jesus is our Savior. Got it? So left to right. By faith, I'm justified by Christ, and I receive. God thinks of me as his own child. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. I have his righteousness. I labor through 80 years of life, and I seek the righteousness of God, and I grow in sanctification, and then I step into glory, and I am there, and all the battles of this world are over. Yeah. Righteousness given, righteousness pursued, righteousness as the reward of all glory. You know? And here, when I say righteousness, like we shall be like him, I I will not struggle with the things I struggle with, the sins I I want to do, but I don't want to do. I do, but I I wish I didn't. That'll be gone. Why? Because I will be in glory. You need to understand that righteousness is this gift, this progress, this ultimate reward that God is working out in us. And the way we struggle in it now doesn't jeopardize what he did in Christ because we weren't saved in Christ by what we did. We aren't saved now by what we do. We're saved by the grace of God. But because he is who he is, the God who is not a commodity, but the ruler of all the world, our rightful obligation to him is to say in everything, yes, Lord, if you have said it, I will do it. 
because I know you are working in me to take me from this broken sinner to a man being refashioned in the likeness of Christ to one who one day will be in your presence. And I don't want the step into heaven to be such a tremendous shock for me that I haven't pursued any of it here on earth. Now, it will be a shock. But it's like, I want to follow Christ now because he's my Lord. And so all that begs the question, which I think James is heading for, the anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. Well, what, what does in this life, in our pursuit of it? Well, what's our part in righteousness? It's pursuing him. It's listening to him. And our text, now I'm ready to start, James chapter 1, verse, <laughs> verse 22. There are four, four kinds of people in this text. And you need to figure out which one you are. There are hearers, lookers, forgetters, and doers. And you'll know which one... James is calling us to. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you have been brought forth by the word of truth, if you have the word of God implanted in you and Christ is your Savior, you have been you, you have a new life in Jesus and the word is in you. He's continuing now in how do we respond to the word? And the response is, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, keep on striving to be doers. The emphasis is not, though, listen, the emphasis is not on the doing, it's on the being. Here's what I mean. I, I don't think he's saying do, 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 do. He's saying be a doer. That's who you are. My identity determines my activity. I, I do the word of God. I don't just have a knowledge about it. One of the dangers of Calvary Bible Church and other churches like ours is we teach the word of God and we know it more and more and more and more and more every week. And you study it and you know more and more and more and more. And knowledge has a danger of puffing up. And if you hear the word and just get complacent about knowing the word, that's a danger that we have to be on guard about. What does a hearer and not a doer look like? What does it look like if someone listens to the word of God week after week after week, but there is no doing in response to what we hear? It looks like someone who over 50 years of his life is still a really angry man at the end of his life. Loves money more than God at the end of his life. Or any myriad of other things. She's lived her whole life, but she remains bitter, unforgiving. The point is, there is a transformation that comes when we listen to the word of God and it speaks to us. Be doers of the word. 
I thought to myself this week, one of the assignments I would like you to do is make a catalog of the things you know the Bible says you should do. E. You know, how long would that list be? And I start with general, start with some general ideas and then say, am I doing that? Am I, am I a doer of the word? When it says, be tenderhearted, be kind, forgiving one another, even as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's my want. Um, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God for you that you abstain from sexual immorality. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Go and sell your possessions and give to charity. Okay? Is that enough? You know, once you start making a list, you say, whoa, what did Jesus say? I've told people who are searching for Jesus and they don't know who he is yet. I said, you should read the Gospel of John. Ask yourself two questions. What did Jesus say we should do? And who did Jesus say he was? And I think one of the assignments that might come away from James chapter 1, verse 22 is simply say, I, I want to be a doer of the word. What does the Bible say I should actually do? I was hesitant to give you my list because you might think I'm just trying to tell you what I think you should do. And I, I don't want to do that. I, I want you, because you know Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have the Bible, I want you to say to God today, I want to make my list of the things that I know your word says I should do, and then I want to set about to try to figure out how to do it. And let God guide you. And maybe at the end of the service, we'll just have a moment as you begin to think, am I being obedient to the things that God has said? Because you want to be a doer, not just a hearer, because when you're only a hearer and not a doer, if you just listen to sermon after sermon and go home and nothing happens, or you read and you hear a message and nothing changes, nothing, no response to it, two things happen. One is you actually pile up future judgment for yourself for having heard the truth and not responding to it. And the second thing that happens is you get deceived about what's real and what isn't. We'll see that in just a minute. Okay, next verse. 23 and 24 says, if anyone's like a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like the man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is what the one, he uses an illustration of a mirror. Now, in his day, mirrors were not very common. And only the wealthy had the best mirrors, and they were made of gold and silver, polished. And you'd look at it. It wasn't until the fourth century that glass mirrors were made. So you'd look about, most people had a brass or a copper piece of metal, polished it down, would look at it, and you get the light just right, and you go, oh, yeah. You know, or you look at it and you say, whoa, you remember when during COVID we were all in our houses for uh, whatever, six weeks, eight weeks, nobody went out. Um, 
I, I remember taking a picture of myself and I had hair, you know, six weeks, you know, probably 10 weeks without a haircut and not shaved. We didn't have to shave. We didn't have to do much. You get up and yeah. And the, <laughs> but the point of looking in a mirror is saying, whoa, I need to do something about that. And the Bible's like that. The Bible's like a mirror that shows you, like a sharp two-edged sword that sometimes the Word of God just says, hey, the way you responded there, that was not like Jesus. The way you're thinking about how you're going to spend your free time this weekend, that is not Jesus. And the Bible has a way of reflecting God's truth to us in the moment and when we hear something out of the Word of God and we see it, it is given to us with the intention that an adjustment might be made because of what we see in the mirror. We look at it, and whatever, we need to shave. or we need, we need to do something about what we see. In the spiritual realm, we need to do something in there, looking intently at his natural face in the mirror. The idea is really examining which it, with a bad mirror, you'd have to really look at it. And one who hears the word of God is like hearing something that God is speaking to you, and then when the service is over or your experience of reading the Bible is over, you get up and there is absolutely no response or change or statement to God, I want to begin to do what you've just shown me I should do. You become a forgetter. So there's a hearer, and there is a looker who just looks, and then looks, maybe hears, and then forgets it. But there's, in verse 25, the one we should be. The one who looks, this is a more intense word for look, means to really stoop down, to look at it as if you were really trying to examine it. The one who looks into the perfect law of li the perfect law, the law of liberty, and that would be a parallel statement to the word of truth, the implanted word, and the word, and now he calls it the law of liberty. The one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. You stay at it being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, that person will be blessed in his doing. The perfect law of liberty. What he's saying is that the word of God actually is like a law. It has the commands and the requirements of God. I think those are in his mind. What God demands of his people. It's a law. But it's a perfect law. It is complete because it helps us know who God is. It helps us know who we are. It helps us know what real truth and reality is all about. And if you look intently to that, and you look remembering, and then persevering in it, not being a forgetful hearer, but one who acts on what you see, you will be blessed in what you do. How is it? that the law of the word of God is liberty. 
A lot of people think that if the Bible is just a bunch of commands, man, that's restrictive. And if you're telling me today, Tom, in 2022 that you want me to search the scriptures, find the list of commands, what does the Bible say, and I have to do all those, that seems narrow. You with me? Yeah. But it's not like that. This is the perfect law of liberty. Jesus said, um, if you abide in my word, then you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will, it will. Why? Because the truth will help you know what's real. It's the perfect law that creates liberty. This is what's ultimately real. This is who God is. This is who I am. This is what Jesus did for me. And as I know his word, and I walk in step with it, I know ultimate reality. Now, there are a lot of other laws. This is the law of liberty that sets us free. It sets us free redemptively by the work of Jesus to save us. It sets us free from the bondage of sin. There are other laws that you are subject to today. All of us in this room are bombarded with a couple of other laws. One is the law of economic independence. It is the cultural law of the day that you need to work hard to become economically wealthy and independent. And if all of your energies are for that law, um, how free is that law? It's free if the stock market's going good. But if the law of your life is financial security and you have a reversal you feel anything but free. There's a greater law, the law of liberty. There's a law in our world of self-actualization, of becoming who you really are, finding yourself. But if you find yourself without God, you know, that's not too free. There's the law of beauty. You have to be beautiful in our world. And the beautiful have the best, most wonderful life. But guess what happens to beautiful people? They get old. <laughs> or health. You know, you, you, the law of health, if you have good health. But without warning, you could get cancer. And then what do you have? These laws that are pressed in by the culture are not the law of liberty. The law of liberty is the perfect law of God with all of his word and truth. And when we understand what he has said and we submit ourselves to his lives, we persevere. This is the will of God. I know it. I want to do it. I want to walk in it. What is the result? This man will be blessed in what he does. You'll be blessed in what you do. This is the outcome of. When we've been given spiritual truth from God's word and we act upon it, there is a flourishing that happens. And conversely, if you have heard the word of God that maybe the Lord has spoken to you about, you need to start doing this or you need to stop doing that, and you have gone out from hearing that and say, no, not yet, not now, you put yourself in spiritual peril. Jesus put it this way. If you have your Bible, turn back to Matthew chapter 7. And let's look at the way Jesus, because again, I think James has got the words of Jesus in his mind. And in James chapter 7, on the Sermon on the Mount, as it closes, 
Jesus said these words in verse 24 of Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rock of what? The rock of the truth of God. So hearers only are not secure in the storms of life. Hearers and doers who hear the word and act upon them find stability. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It's real, right? He will be blessed in what he does. You'll be secure. Why? Because you know ultimate reality. You know what's real. You know that. So, don't be hearers only, but doers. One more text. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the way with sinners or sit down in the seat of scoffers. What company are you keeping that helps you in your righteousness, in your pursuit of God? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Whatever she does prospers. Why? Because God is in it. And that doesn't mean you won't have reversals, you won't have setbacks, but even in the setbacks, you prosper. Hey, let's remember the context of James chapter 1. What is it? Trials. You have trials? Have joy knowing God's working in the midst of those trials. What should I do? Ask for wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Everybody, the word of God. You know, be doers of the word. Do that. That's, That's the pathway that James is unfolding for us in all of the challenges and hardships of our life. And what we pray we will be is not forgetters, not just hearers, and certainly not deceived forgetters, lookers, but effectual doers. So let's pray together. And maybe while I've been speaking this morning, God brought to your mind something that God, just between you and God, said, I I wonder if you need to grow in your obedience here. And you need to respond to me. You know, I've been saying this to you. What if today were the day here at Calvary that we just said, we want to be doers of the Word of God in every way that He shows us. None of us can do it perfectly. None of us will do it at all times. 
Paul was the one who said, you know, I do the things I don't want to do. But I keep coming back to say, I love the law of the Lord. My heart joyfully agrees with the law of God, and I want to do it. It's the pathway to blessing. You just tell God what it is you want to grow in obedience in today. God, you are the almighty source of every good gift. And our only right response to you today is to bow before you in worship and to commit our souls and minds and wills as your people have all through the history of your dealing with mankind to say we will do, today we choose to do what God has said. We will be an obedient people. We'll stand when the world tells us other things that the Lord is our God. We're not just going to hear and ignore and become hardened. We want to hear and obey and find the joy of walking in your good and perfect way. Remind us that it's not in our doing that we achieve righteousness, but in our faith in the perfect one who helps imperfect people like us. And then stir our hearts, God, just to trust in you and to follow you for the area that you've brought to our mind that we would just say, Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We want to do what you've said. And may the world be a different place because out of this room go hundreds of people who say, I don't care what the world says. I'm going to do what God says. And I'm going to live for him. This, we pray, will result in your glory. We know it will be for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.